Hello and welcome to another episode of the Sports Pro Podcast. I am your host this week. My name is Tom Bassam and usually I would be joined by a number of my esteemed colleagues. But unfortunately, none of them want to talk to me this week. Instead, I am lucky enough to be joined by Viagogo's general manager, Chris Miller. Chris has been with Viagogo since it was started in the mid-2000s and has been part of the company as it has grown to become one of the biggest players in the ticketing space. Over the course of our conversation, we discuss numerous subjects, but given we're in the midst of the NFL's international swing with three games in London and two games in Germany to come ahead, that's the starting point for our conversation. But we moved on to talk about secondary ticketing as an industry, how it works with sports, and some of the controversies too. Without further ado, let me introduce Chris. Chris Miller, welcome to the Sports Pro Podcast. We're here to talk a little bit about Viagogo or Viagogo. Can you give me a correct pronunciation? Yeah, actually, it goes back and forth depending on what country you're from. So, okay. Yeah, so <laughs> domestically, it's called Viagogo. How about that? Good to know. Yeah. Good to know. You were one of the first employees with the company, right? Can you yep. just take me all the way back to then and tell me how it all started? Yeah, actually, the origin story goes back even further, which is back in 2000. I was one of the first employees at a company called StubHub, and that's where really the inception came from. So our founder, Eric Baker, was uh, going to graduate school at the time at Stanford Business School. He was in the entrepreneurship program and was sort of thinking about different you know, ideas about starting a business. And one of them that came about to him was this moment where he was traveling to New York. He wanted to take his then girlfriend to the time uh, to a Lion King event, you know, on Broadway. That was like the biggest event back 23 plus years ago. And it was sold out. He didn't really know how to, you know, sort of navigate the world of getting a ticket, but he wanted to make sure that he got his girlfriend a ticket. And so he asked some friends and the options were pretty bare. You know, it was basically one option was you could use a sort of traditional ticket broker that had a bricks and mortar that was based in New York City. He tried calling them up. It wasn't the best experience, you know, they sort of made him feel like it was a privilege to spend an arm and a leg and, you know, there wasn't a lot of optionality. There was eBay, you know, or we had Craigslist as well, which is more like sort of an online test your luck type of thing, but didn't feel very comfortable with the lack of security there. You could go outside at the venue and see if there's somebody, which again, he didn't feel very comfortable with and ultimately made the decision to buy from the ticket broker. But, you know, his point of view at that time was, geez, there must be a better way. This is sort of ridiculous. And he's also a season ticket holder for the LA Lakers. And so every single year he had a number of games that he couldn't go to and he didn't really know beyond maybe just handing them off to his friends and things like that of like getting tickets in hands to more and more people. And again, sort of felt like, geez, there must be a better way. So that's really where the inception came from was that it was really ensuring that the secondary market and the resale markets existed as long as there's been live entertainment. So back in the days of the gladiators, I'm sure there was people trading tickets outside. And the point of the matter, though, is that the resale market wasn't very efficient. It wasn't very safe. There wasn't a lot of transparency to it. And so StubHub was created back then. And it was truly about this, this sort of platform and a marketplace, which is exactly the same of what Viagogo is. And so we were at StubHub for the first five years, worked really hard on building that business in the United States, and then decided that we wanted to bring the concept and the business model outside to the United Kingdom, launched the business in 2006 and very, very similar business model. And again, really just trying to bring safety and security and transparency to the secondary market. And some of your like earliest partnerships here were in sport, right? You start there talking about entertainment and going to see the Lion King, but I think I'm right in understanding that 
some of your early deals here were with the likes of Chelsea and Manchester United. Yeah, it was actually, that was the first two football clubs that we partnered with. And so we actually launched the business around those relationships. And again, it was this sort of the idea of, you know, they have a number of members that are currently have a subscription for the entire season. There's a lot of times where they can't make it to certain matches or maybe you can't extend it beyond your friend group. And so we offered the service up directly to their members and did all the technology and all the, you know, payments and all the operations and everything associated associated with that and had those partnerships for a number of years. Ended up launching in Germany a few years after and did a partnership with Bayern Munich as well. From those kind of early days of sport, Where's Viagogo got to now? Is it still sports-centered or are you all over the place? We've expanded a lot. I mean, when we started the business in 2006, most of our deliberate way of growing was really across Western Europe and thought about it on a kind of a country-by-country basis. But then we've expanded all over the world and never really participated too much in the United States. And that was sort of, you know, handled by our predecessor at StubHub and eBay acquired them in, in 2007. But we decided to go through Europe and then into Asia and South America kind. One thing that we really learned as we were growing, which wasn't really there before, was the sort of desire for a localized experience for fans, but to buy event tickets for other countries, you know, and other places. So we started to naturally see these cross-border transactions. So the business has, you know, 50 different languages on the website. We've got 40 different currencies. We take payments from all over the world. So we do try to localize that. And so between sports and music, it's probably 50-50 depending on what events are taking place. So, you know, if there's a World Cup going on for for football or something, then it might skew to sports. And it's still strictly resale or are you into the first party as well? Well, so it's it's an interesting sort of evolution, which is that we do sort of fundamentally have the roots in resale, but as we've gotten bigger and we've gotten more distribution and we've been able to do a lot in marketing and being able to invest a lot in, you know, generating awareness for events, event organizers have started to use us to retail their tickets directly to fans. So that's a growing category on the website at the moment. So fast forward into 2023 and I think sort of one of the Big partnerships anyway that we're aware of and I wanted to touch on was the relationship with the NFL, right, and the the games in London. Maybe it's good to talk about what your role is there first and then we can kind of come to some of the findings from that recently because it's been fairly interesting how that's grown. Yeah, so interesting story. So when I moved here in 2006, I lived in London for about four years when we started the business and the first game was in 2007 and I I got invited actually by the NFL and it was starting to get to know some of the other industry stakeholders here in the UK and, you know, we were at Wembley and, you know, they were, I remember them asking me, questions about how it worked and, you know, that the halftime was a lot longer <laughs> than they were used to and all these really funny stories, but it was primarily Americans, you know, and, you know, I was thrilled, obviously, as American, you know, the game was there, it was the Jacksonville Jaguars, which sadly have never been that popular at home, but, you know, it was great to have them exported out. To see how much they've invested and to see how much it's grown over the years is really incredible. So the NFL, you know, I think they were very intent on exporting the game and trying to grow the game internationally. It's a very, you know, US-centric sport, obviously. And, you know, what they've been able to do here in the UK and all over the world is, is pretty incredible. And we see it in our data, you know. And so as a marketplace, we we see, you know, the the, the ticket sales information from all over the world. And we see all the different trends and things that have that, that's improved the game here. It's pretty crazy. And via Gogo, you're just one of the many kind of secondary market resellers? Yeah, so there's kind of like 
still a little bit of a distinction between the primary and the secondary. It's getting more and more blurred over the years. I've been doing this for a, you know, a really long time, and there was a pretty clear line before. And now the blending between the two has evolved a lot, mainly because it's really what customers want, you know, what service they want to use, why they want to use it. And so fans have migrated to the secondary marketplaces just because of the ease of use and the accessibility, and they can see what location, and they can particularly, you know, they can decide on which seat they want to sit in and they can make last minute decisions if they want to, which is different than traditionally the primary does. And so Viagogo, and then we also, we now own StubHub in the United States. We're, you know, probably the largest on the planet and have the most global presence when it comes to marketplaces. There are other marketplaces that are out there, but when it comes to the UK, you know, we think that we sort of have the biggest position. Mm. And when it comes to sort of a series like the international series, like with the NFL, is there certain things that you guys have to do in order to be a ticket provider? So they make sure that, say, whoever's selling it isn't scamming the person that they're selling to. And does that relationship go then all the way through to the NFL itself? We did have a relationship with the NFL for a number of years. And so the way that it's been evolving in the United States is that Major League Baseball was probably the first sports league organization that decided to embrace the resale market. And understandably, they've got, you know, 81 home games a year, season ticket holders, there's no way you can make it to all those. And so they felt really comfortable with bringing in secondary services like StubHub. And so StubHub became and was the first actually to be the official secondary ticketing provider not unlike what we did here at Viagogo with Manchester United and Chelsea. And so season ticket holders and fans and others could use the platform to resell their tickets, but also use it to buy their tickets and things like that. The way that that has grown is that there's these integrations that take place now. So primary ticketing companies that are running the box office and doing all the kind of software management for the event itself they will open up their technology to StubHub and Viagogo, and then we integrate directly. And then what that allows us to do is basically transfer tickets electronically, really good customer experience and being able to, you know, share in the information and share in like the data that we collect. And it provides more accessibility and more assurances for fans. So that's something we did with the NFL for many years. Now with the NFL, like the London series, this London series wrapped up, we had three games. There's two more to come in Germany. You said there you kind of get a great snapshot overview of all of the data of the fan as well, which I think is really interesting for the industry to know and understand. What are the kind of most interesting things you'd pick out from the 2023 London Games and maybe how they compare to previous ones? The one that really sticks out, going back to the data from 2007 all the way up till today, I mean, that you know, it's a long time of investment. This was the first year where we saw that actually the overwhelming majority of the fans that purchased tickets were from the UK, as opposed to historically where they were mainly Americans coming over. Over. And so over 66% of all of the purchases were actually domestic. So it's sort of validation that the game has really sort of become important to the UK market. And that was something that really stuck out to us. And not to mention the fact that actually the distribution amongst the number of countries have increased incredibly. So I, another really interesting stat actually is that the UK outside of the United States and Canada is the third largest purchaser of NFL games in the United States. So there's a lot of British citizens that are traveling through the United States to go to games in America. That says that what the NFL has been doing here has been really successful. Yeah. A couple of years ago, the NFL launched their International Home Marketing Areas Initiative, which, um, I mean, that 
gives teams the right to market in different places, right? And the Jags have always been the team that comes yeah. here. How much do you think that's had an impact on that growth of like UK buyers? I think a lot. Look, you know, I'm not in the office of the NFL. I mean, we obviously have a good relationship with them, but what they've been able to do from an investment standpoint and a consistency around marketing and their commitment to it, again, is really impressive. And, you know, I would have never thought that the game would have been as popular as it's become, let alone going into places like Germany. And now they're talking about going to Brazil and some other markets that I never expected it to, you know, again, and it's just that as an American, you just think American football is so American and it doesn't really export. But the unique thing, especially about our company and what we get to see is these trends that are unlocking all this opportunity for fans to see these events that are more cultural events, you know, that they're not necessarily, you know, maybe you're a super fan, but it's also like there's all these casual fans that just want to see these events and see what the experience is like. And that's really been a really fascinating trend that we see on our website. Mm. Just to kind of get an idea of what you guys are working with, like what data do you have on the people that you collect? I'm not asking you to give away like too many state secrets here, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but like, do you know if like, for example, like which team they say they support, or is it kind of a bit more base level than that? So most of the data we have is obviously we have registered information from the customer. So we have to register every single seller. We authenticate, you know, that they're a legitimate person. They have to put credit cards down to secure their transactions on the sell side. That's really important. You know, we got a team of like a hundred people constantly monitoring things. There's a lot of operations that go into it. And on the buyer side, we know where your location is. We obviously know your purchasing behavior. We know how much you spent on the ticket. We know whether you're traveling or not. You know, we know a little bit about your demographics, not a ton, but, you know, at the same time, a lot of really interesting trends and we can see behaviorally what you wouldn't want to see or where you're going. We can see people, you know, kind of popping around different states, for instance. So if you're a British citizen and you're flying over to the U.S., you can see the game progressions and things like that. So those types of trends we can see really well. So have you got then like a profile of the ticket buyer's for the NFL London games or for the international series generally? We have, yeah, we have profiles in a lot, you know, for a lot of different events all over the world. And then there's a lot of really unique things that I think that from a data perspective that people won't really genuinely appreciate until they start to look at it. I mean, we have partners that look at some of our data and are kind of blown away by it because again, our marketplace is sort of agnostic. So it's all over the world, right? And so we don't have some of the limitations that a traditional primary ticketing company has. I mean, we'll put every event up on the website and we'll allow for anybody to sell on the website, assuming that they fulfill on their obligation. And so what that allows us to do is see the actual real market trends that are taking place because we also unlock payments, which is like a huge, huge operational burden for a lot of companies. But it's really important to us that every single customer or fan, whether you're in Africa or South America, that you can have a local experience and you can purchase it with your local bank account and you're not going to get you know denied and all that kind of stuff. And so we monitor all those types of things and have really, really good insights into that. Mm. I guess a question that kind of leads on from that. We had some interesting comments from NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell recently. He was talking about how they've internally been discussing the potential of having a Super Bowl in London. Yeah. One of the things we track really regularly when the Super Bowl is going on is the resale ticket prices because it's always like an eye-popping number. Yeah. I think this year the range was somewhere between like $9,000 and $27,000. Do you think you'd get that level of demand if they did move the Super Bowl to London? 
One thing that I've learned doing this for 20 some odd years is I can't predict the prices. <laughs> like I've never been able to do that. And the reason why is because there's so many factors at play that it's really hard to predict. I mean, there's trends in, you know, macroeconomics and microeconomics and buyer behavior and all sorts of things that are just make it really, really difficult. But what I can say is that it would obviously be a bucket list event. You know, I could not imagine Americans not eyeing that event as something very special, you know, and, and I think that, you know, depending on the teams that would be placed and where they would place it if in a market like London, you know, that's really easy to get to. And so I could see that being incredibly popular. And I think it would be very special for those fans that follow their team and to have that first one outside the United States. I think it would be like a proud moment for a lot of them. And so, you know, Vegas is the reason why it's so popular this year is because it's in Vegas, you know, and it's the first time it's been in Las Vegas. And, you know, there's a lot going on in Las Vegas. Lots of people want to go there. And I think London would be very unique like that. I guess compared to the international series, do you get many Americans buying tickets and flying over to those games too? Oh, yeah. So oddly enough, the Frankfurt match is the second most in-demand match for the entire season. All of our numbers all over the world has a lot to do with Americans flying over to Germany because this is the first time that they've done it. And also domestically in Germany, it's very popular as well. There's a very big following in Germany. And so that was a stat that stood out to us is that out of all the NFL games and all these great matchups that are taking place, the number two most in-demand game is that game in Frankfurt. And uh, I guess it probably doesn't help that you've got the Super Bowl champions in Miami. Can't hurt. Yeah, can't hurt. (laughs) (laughs) One of the more attractive teams to watch this year. I guess as well, like from a kind of, I mean, let's take the big thing out of it. Do you think there's like a business advantage or a a potential NFL strategy to having a a Super Bowl in London? Do you think it'd be something they'd be looking at and going, yeah, I think that would work? I think so. I mean, I can't speak for the NFL directly and Mr. Goodell or anybody, but they're incredibly intelligent. I mean, they have run a really, really successful league and the teams are all very successful and it's a very sought after event, you know, even to Americans. And I think they probably understand is the more that they export the game, the more successful. You know, the NBA went through a big period of that as well, and they've done a really nice job. Now the game has become wildly international. I mean, some of our best players are not even American anymore, you know? And so I could see them thinking that maybe there's some opportunities for that if they could start to incorporate, you know, we get a lot of Australians to play as kickers, you know, in the league and things. So bringing more athletes in and having them come into the system, and it's only better for the game. So I got to believe that they think that and sort of looking ahead then to the germany games is there any other trends that you've seen there was one there last year and now there's two do you think in terms of what you've seen on the ticketing side that demand is going to be met i mean you've mentioned already that it's the most popular game but they've got two to sell out as opposed yeah to- I, they, well they're both sold out and they are as popular as they've ever been i mean every like i said it's the same thing in the uk every single time every single year it seems to grow in popularity and the distribution amongst fans across different countries i mean we're i think we're north of 65 different countries that are attending these games now and so it just shows you the power of the league and also the diversity of the interests all over the world mm. In terms of then creating an interest the other way, have you seen a rise in tourism, not just from um, like UK fans, but more European fans coming over to the US and being like, oh, I've got to get my ticket. I need to go and via go-go and get my, uh, wherever, whichever city they're visiting. Yeah, yeah. No, we definitely have. All, all of our trending of tourism, we would call it event tourism, this particular year 
is is significantly up. I think in the in the UK alone, it was up twenty percent of people coming in in the UK and the United States. I think it's up almost thirty forty percent over for where it's been before. And so post COVID, and then you know just sort of the reintroduction of live entertainment in people's lives and things. I think people have put that at a premium. You know these experiences are really really important. It's sort of a once in a lifetime in a lot of cases, and we're breaking down those barriers. You know we're allowing for more accessibility. We're creating the options for fans to be able to see these events. I mean there was a stat that I always like to take, which is that the ashes were here, you know, not too long ago. And we had our biggest country outside the United Kingdom was, was the United States. And that's like, we don't even play cricket. So there's just a lot of things I think people are just wanting to explore. They're booking their flights around these events as opposed to coming in, you know, to the, you know, the town and doing museums and things are going to entertainment. They're going to concerts all over the world. It's pretty remarkable. Mm. For me, it seems that uh, Viagogo and StubHub, you guys have like a tremendous amount of like insight and data into the people that are coming to games, right? But you're a third party provider. How close are your relationships or how do you work with the primary rights holder in that yeah. situation? Yeah. So it ebbs and flows. <laughs> you know, our desire is and we believe is that event organizers really should take the opportunity to sit down with us and get educated and learn more about what we can provide. I mean, the United States is a little bit of a different market than, you know, UK and Europe has been and sports teams traditionally have embraced it a lot more. So we have very, very good relationships. Sometimes we work directly with them and sometimes we don't, you know, and it just depends on the relationship, but they do understand that their fan bases use our website for all these different reasons. And they understand that there's opportunities there for them to tap into if they want to. And it just depends. And so it's a much more sort of open dialogue here in the UK. You know, look, we have more work to do. We want to make sure that people understand what the service is about, what, you know, what's a value, what's on there, what we could participate with. And we're working really closely on doing some of that soon and trying to bring more of this to the UK and the European market so that we can have more and more relationships that we, we believe we can help grow attendance. We believe that we can help grow the fan bases and do a lot for, for event organizers. Why do you think it is there's that difference between the, the two markets? Like, is there a sort of bit of a skepticism here? I think the resale market traditionally is a little contentious, you know, with event organizers, as always has been. I mean, there's, you know, the kind of concepts is not necessarily completely accepted everywhere. And I think that just comes with education and an understanding. There's a bit of a perception issue that, you know, we tend to need to work through so that people really get it. You know, as an example, you know, the kind of free market society in the United States is probably a bit more accepted in some cases than it is in other countries. But it doesn't mean that there's not opportunities. It doesn't mean that there's not ways to work through it. You know, we're very thoughtful and, and, you know, commercial, but also understand the value of the fan relationship and understand how important it is to maintain your integrity of your members and lots of different things that I don't think people quite would know until they sat down and talked to us and they understand a little bit more. So that's a little on us to make sure that people really do understand like what is available and, you know, then it's a choice of whether they want to subscribe to it or not. So then to take it back to, I don't know, like the Super Bowl example as a kind of extreme, right? If the Super Bowl was to be hosted in London and then the, those sky high prices, like they were rocketing up. Is that where you think you've got that slight perception issue at the moment that you guys are somehow profiteering off the back of something like when all fans want to do is go to the game? That's always like part of the discussion, right? And I think pricing is always something that pops up a lot. And, and our position again is, we're simply a marketplace, you know, and so we don't set the prices. We don't touch the tickets. That market's going to happen with or without us. What we felt when we started the company is, well, geez, if people are going to access the resale market and they use it today anyway, 
wouldn't it be better if we just put together a platform to make it safe and to make it secure? You know, the sort of quote unquote ticket resellers or traders that go and sell tickets for prices, those are there mainly because buyers have the demand. You know, the demand for these events are huge. And so we try to put order around it. And so ultimately, a Super Bowl in London or in Las Vegas is like a really unique event. And to me, it's not that controversial that prices are going to go high. You know, there's limited amount of supply available. There's a lot of people that want to go. And depending on what buyers are comfortable with, that that's the price point. Now, if you're not comfortable with the price point, then that's not something that you're going to do. And there's this concept that there's also this accessibility. There's only one Super Bowl. <laughs> you know, there's, you can't you can't unlock Super Bowl to 10 million people, you can only get 70,000 people in there. So it's supply and demand, unfortunately, and that's not necessarily ideal, you know, for a lot of the fans that are out there, which I completely appreciate, but for those that really want to be there, now you have the option and you have the option to go and it's safe and it's secure and you're going to get taken care of. And that's what we do. And on the sort of safety side of it, like, I guess there's the kind of thing of like the old school and like in the UK, we would refer to them as ticket touts, Tells, right? Yeah. Like, so they, they snap up a load of tickets and then they're the ones changing that market. Yeah. Is that something that you guys actively work on and like try and figure out and prevent in order to provide that level of safety that the market needs in order for that to be a legitimate price? Yeah. So the perception of that is part of what, you know, the education, which is that there's this notion that the overwhelming majority of tickets are getting pulled in by these resellers. That's not true. The reality is, it's like depending on the demand of the event, it's it's a it's a much smaller percentage, and then the resellers themselves that participate, you know, you're looking at like four tickets. You're and then there's just a lot of different resellers on the platform that ultimately want to participate in the marketplace. And so we also have a lot of fans that resell tickets, people that buy four and then end up selling two, and then there's people that resell tickets because they can't make it anymore. There's like all these different considerations. Our point of view on this stuff is ultimately we have to ensure that the seller delivers on their obligation. That's like the most important thing. And so for us, we have all these rating systems behind closed doors. We monitor all of the transactions. We make sure that we understand who you are. We have fraud preventions. We watch your delivery. We watch to make sure that if you're traveling, when you're going to get your ticket. And so we're monitoring everything. And so for us, again, the security of, of, of getting the ticket as advertised, it's a section in the row, it's lined up, it's valid, you get into the event, that's what we stand for. And for us, again, I think that's some of the misconceptions that are out there, that there's like some world of resellers cornering the market that just doesn't exist. I've realized we've got a little bit off topic. I didn't want to go too far <laughs> into right. like... It's the, interesting anyway, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, into the resale stuff. But like, I think really helpful for people to understand. One thing I did want to go into, it's slightly more fun. I think everyone likes talking about Taylor Swift. Yeah, yes. <laughs> for, for me, like sitting from distance, I watch NFL every Sunday. Yeah. When she first showed up at the at the Chiefs game, I can't remember which, it was a Sunday night. Well, it was Sunday night for us. I think it may have just been an afternoon game. Can't remember. Shows how big a Swifty I am. Um, <laughs> and I was just like, why do they keep on cutting away? Like, why is it such a big deal that she's in the box? It's just a famous person. Yeah. And I, I like Taylor Swift. 1989 is a great album. But um, I was absolutely baffled by it. And then... Over the course of the week, social media absolutely blew up. The next game that she turned up at, the ratings were way higher. Like they spent so much time like talking about her. It 
it's not just been an impact on the media side. You've seen it on the ticket selling side, right? Yeah, yeah. We saw it on the ticket selling side too. Yeah. So she showed up, I think it was out of the blue on the, at the Jets. No, no, it was the game before that. And then I think it was, we ended up seeing the sales spiking. And we had our, you know, like our busiest sale day for that particular game where it was the Jets versus the Chiefs in New York. And there was the expectation that she was going to show up. And that particular day after she finally showed her face at the Chiefs, I can't remember which game it was, but beside the point is that the next day there was all these people thinking, oh, she's going to go to the New York game. So our ticket sales were up and it was the busiest day of sales for that game all year. So just to show you like <laughs> the impact that we even we saw with Taylor is kind of is kind of crazy. And I know there's other stats about the broadcasting. I mean, I think CNBC says something about like two million extra two, know, two million viewers. extra women yeah. I have on my notes and a 63% growth in viewership on Roku for that game. Yeah. The most women ever watching a game that wasn't the Super Bowl. And I think I think Kelsey's uh, jersey sales went way up yes. too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So when that kind of thing happens, do you guys like I mean, so the, the, do you have to prepare? Like, is there like a rush on your servers? Is it, is it that deep? It can be. I mean, it's not, I, I wouldn't say rush on the servers. I mean, we see, we see an increase in traffic, but we definitely see it in the, the figures. It's a unique thing about the marketplace is that we see these really sort of obscure trends that will take place that you wouldn't necessarily be able to predict. And, you know, we obviously have our operations in place and so we're able to handle it. But like Messi was a, it was a similar example. When Messi was announced in Miami, immediately sales went through the roof. The sellers are responsible for managing their tickets and everything like that at that point. But there's these kind of unique pop media types of trends and things like that, that will have impact on ticket sales. And does that then change how you market to your users, right? Your people that buy from the platform. Does that create new profiles for you guys? We see, so a lot of our, our marketing is in digital, you know, whether that's through Google or sort of display advertising, things like that. And what that does is you get your click numbers to go way up, which can increase your costs, right? So you have to adjust those. And a lot of those are done through automation and things. So we can, we can adapt to that, but there's definitely an impact in marketing. And I guess as well, is there an interest for you guys in getting, you know, that's happening Messier yeah, into yeah. Miami is another thing. Is there an interest for you guys in advertising yourself as a sales service in that situation as well? Ideally, I mean, that's part of going back to what we discussed before of event organizers using us. I mean, we we invest an enormous amount in marketing and we believe that we're not only satisfying the demand that's out there, but we also are creating a lot of interest in events all over the world. And so that's where we think event organizers should you know participate in selling their tickets directly. It's very easy to do nowadays. And we have tools and technology to be able to help people to do that and think of us as more of a retailer than not only just a secondary platform it struck me you were talking about safety of ticketing right and like one of the massive industry trends that has kind of ridden up and down is nfts but for me they seem like that seems maybe like one of the best use cases for a non-fungible token somewhere you can prove the ledger is in ticketing is that something that you guys have explored as a part of your technology stack? We have. It's a very interesting thing for ticketing. No, no question about it. Um, it's a little tricky because it's hard to move as fast as you want it to move. You know, ticketing, if you do a big on sale or something, you're moving, you know, hundreds of thousands of tickets, maybe if it's like Taylor Swift, millions of tickets in a few hours. So it's really hard to do that over a blockchain. But there are a lot of different implications of how that can be very valuable. Our point of view is, is that the technology that is underpinning a lot of this is ultimately needs to be in service of the fan, right? It needs to be about 
ensuring that there's a better experience for them. We believe that technology should enable more accessibility, more ease of use, more access to events and things of that nature. So blockchain has, has been one. There's, you know, I talked about the integrations and that's, you know, somewhat of a new concept. There's mobile ticketing has been a big, you know, uh, growth. It's not, you know, in the United States, probably 80% of all of our sales are on mobile tickets now. And that makes things uh, quite a bit easier. So as long as, you know, from our point of view, we're technology focused, but agnostic to what would be available, assuming that it's in the best interest of fans. Mm, that can sometimes be a blocker. Like my dad is a bit of a technophobe. Yeah, yeah. He has an iPhone like seven or something absurd like that. And we recently went to Marseille to watch Brighton. Yeah. I'm a Brighton of Albion fan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, like... That was the first time in ages I had to go and pick up a physical ticket. I know. It's still there. Yeah, it's still there. Is that a struggle that you have to deal with where you've got that split level of like almost technology understanding where you've got some, some people who are so phone savvy, maybe they'd be like, where is my NFT ticket? And yeah. then you've got this, some people who are like, I need my piece of paper. Yeah, no, it's a good point. Because we're an open marketplace, we have to be really, really aware of all the delivery mechanisms that are out there. And, you know, the overwhelming majority of the time, we don't have the relationship directly with the event organizer. And so we have to understand how the tickets are getting delivered in the market. So that could be paper, it could be mobile, it could be collection at the box office, it could be any number of different things or PDF emails. And that's part of the operations of the business, you know, and again, probably one of the most misunderstood areas is that the overwhelming majority of our company, our technology engineers, product engineers, operational engineers that are trying to understand how to make this as easy as possible so that the fans don't have to sweat it. You know, they don't have to worry about it. So we're monitoring all the different things. So when we put events live on the website, we have to understand what's the distribution of the tickets. How many is it? Some, some of it's some digital, some of it's not digital in the same event, even, you know, there's, there's different transfer mechanisms that are out there. So yeah, we have to stay very close to that. That's a big part of the promise that we have. As sort of we move towards the end of this, I just wanted to kind of get an idea from you where Beergo is going as a business. Like what, what do you, do you want to be in that first party market or are you very happy being in the resale? And do you think there's going to be any kind of technological change or industry change that's going to fundamentally alter what you guys do? Or do you feel like actually you're in the right place and you're set for a, an interesting period? We just want to serve as fans. And as a fan of entertainment and somebody that's gone to hundreds and thousands of events over my lifetime, I believe in what we do. And I, I know everyone else does, which is like, you know, providing accessibility to fans for events anywhere in the world at any time on your device, in your language, in your currency. We think that's really powerful. And we believe that, you know, the growth of our business and the value that's created for fans, I think, won't stop. And so to us, it's more about if you can continue to invest in those things, create innovations against those, working with event organizers, not against them, you know, coming up with different ways that we can improve attendance and we can improve accessibility and making it just easier for everybody. That's a position we believe in strongly. And so from our point of view, as long as we're unlocking more of that and creating more accessibility and ease of use, and we're working for the fan, we think we're in a really, really good spot. Okay, lovely stuff. Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.